0: Hi, everyone. Just before we get going, I want to remind you that everything we talk about and discuss should not be considered as investment advice. The purpose of what we talk about on Catherine Murray Media and Markets on YouTube, as well as Catherine Murray in Conversation With on my podcast, should be viewed as informational and entertainment purposes only. Please definitely do your own research, your own homework, and definitely consult an investment professional before making any Investment decisions. And also to note, some of us might hold positions in some of the stocks uh, that we discuss. Uh, Ed, great to be able to catch up with you. And, um, you know, congratulations, I suppose, on on retirement. I'm I'm sure you're going to still be so busy and still involved to a degree at at RioCan. But there's a lot to talk about in in terms of what the world looks like. And I'd really like to kind of just start there in terms of your perspective. You know, with COVID uh, over a year into it, how how are you viewing the world right now? What what do you find interesting?
1: Um, well, my first year, my sorry, my last year of being CEO was the COVID year. I mean, I, I uh, formally retired on on March thirty first, twenty twenty one. So, you know, the last year was certainly interesting. And uh, you know what I saw early on, and and I have to admit, you know. I think uh, in company with uh, our political leaders, uh, I underestimated uh, the impact this would have on our world. And um, probably like many other executives, I don't think I ever worked as hard as I did in that period from sort of March 2020 through to almost the end of 2020 uh, calendar year. But, you know, my, my initial thinking, and actually it just, kept going, was that uh, COVID was accelerating uh, and would be almost like, you know, a huge accelerant of many trends that we already saw happening and some that we never expected. Um, I never knew about Zoom. <laughs> <You> know, right. <laughs> a, a Zoom, Microsoft Teams, Google, WebEx. I mean, there's all kinds of, but Zoom seems to be the, uh, the, uh, the phrase that people use for for those kind of meetings, online meetings. And I think what we'll see, uh, look, it'll never be the same as meeting in person, but it's very useful. I have no doubt we'll see a lot of that continue. Uh, so, you know, on a simple basis, will business travel ever go back to the way it was? Probably not, because yeah. you found you can do a lot of things. So, you know, I don't know if that's a trend that accelerated or a whole new trend. Um, one that I despise, online shopping. Uh, I mean, essentially, uh, that's all you've been able to do now for 14 or 15 months. And any retailer uh, that didn't get their online present beefed up and their whole logistical uh, presence beefed up uh, has fallen behind. And, uh, you know, uh, some I, I think people I mean, you were in I was in the States over the course of the winter.
0: Uh-huh. And
1: you know what? People are dying to go back to stores down where I was, the stores were open and, and they were very busy.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so I think, uh, the stores will be fine, but online shopping, which may have gone in Canada from probably high single digits to 10% of the overall retail market probably has shot up to 25%. It won't go back down to 10, mm-hmm. uh, you know, maybe it'll, it'll go down a bit, but, It'll have probably done in one year what would have been an ordinary five-year growth because mm-hmm. it was mm-hmm. growing. In it. So that 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 has has changed a lot. Um, and um, the the uh, I mean we haven't even gotten economics. I'm really focused yeah. on real estate. The whole thing about working from home. Um, you know I'm want to you know maybe because of my age, but I still believe people will go back to the office. Uh, largely. They may not go back full-time. Um, the the uh, tenants, notwithstanding all the talk, have not given up their office space. Um, Shopify, probably being a notable example, because they're a allied uh, tenant at, in a couple of places, at King & Portland in Toronto, and our new development at The Well, and they haven't tried to walk away, and in fact, they had an option to expand their space, which they exercised Mm -hmm. in the building. So, you know, I I think the the death of the office ain't gonna happen. Mm -hmm. Um, But having said that, moving to more sort of uh, macro things, uh, it's a very puzzling thing. You've got serious inflation in certain areas, uh, raw materials. Um, you know the private we all the price of lumber makes the news every day so we know about that but i can tell you as, as someone involved in building things um, costs of construction which were going up probably 10 percent a year starting about four or five years ago uh, largely because of demand and and not that many uh, not that much supply i mostly labor um, has probably gone up 20% in the last year. And that's just a number I'm picking out of the air. And, you know, it's one of the reasons you see for increasing prices. Actually, a friend of mine, and I don't know if we're going to see that here. Uh, we may already. I, I'm not that close to it. A friend of mine was looking at buying a house in uh, Naples. And he was right down to signing the agreement. Now, being a, a, a very smart fellow, he actually read the agreement. And in the agreement was a, clause. most people don't.
0: Do <laughs> I know, wow. and you saw my so facial they, reaction, yeah. They,
1: they, they figure, well, you can't change anything, so why bother? But he actually read it and went to a lawyer down there. And there was a clause in there that basically said that if the cost of construction, because the house hadn't been started yet, uh, increased uh, during the uh, the course of construction or from the day they signed the agreement to the day they closed, uh, and then there was a fairly complex way of calculating how much the price would go up. So in other words, he was buying a house that he really didn't know what it was going to cost. Wow. Uh, it was going to go up 10%, 20%. He wasn't sure. And with what we've seen, this was uh, actually towards the uh, early part of this past uh, winter. So late 2020. And what we've seen in the last six months since then, uh, for sure, would have gone up material. The, the cost of house. He, he didn't sign the deal, by the way. Of course, now he's sorry. Uh, right. Because <laughs> <the, 'cause laughs> prices have gone up even more. Uh, but, uh, you know, we haven't seen that in Canada yet, but I wouldn't be surprised if we did, because I know people, uh, very successful projects, uh, townhouse projects, uh, one that Ria involved in, in, uh, in Oshawa of all places, uh, which is actually part of the GTA now. And, um, uh 153 houses we sold them all and you know healthy profit margin but the last uh you know a spreadsheet i saw at the last pro forma you know our profit will be down a good 10 to 15 percent from what what it was just a few months ago because huh. our sales price is fixed but our cost wasn't all fixed and and again because it's townhomes townhomes a lot of lumber right so uh you know, I think you'll see some different ways of doing business. A, a result, I mean, at its extreme, uh, I mean, again, I'm old enough. I remember until the big disaster of the early '90s, uh, homes, uh, you know, obviously uh, not high rise, but single family homes in towns were built on on speculation uh, on spec. In other words, they built them first, then they put it up for sale. Hmm. Now, uh, the banks got you know, hammered pretty good, uh, in the early nineties, uh, uh, because of that, because it was mostly done with financing and it was actually the banks that drove the whole way of doing business. Now that you don't build a, a home or anything else until you've got sufficient pre-sales hmm. until essentially you build it after you sold it. But now when you've got quickly ca- uh, rising costs, who knows if that's not going to change.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: Last but Ed, I, sorry, go ahead.
0: Uh, just one question to pick up on that. Um, when you think about the the rising cost, because that that's obviously the big story around the world, um, is whether or not inflation is here to stay, or if it's transitory, and if it will only stay in certain segments of the economy. And of course, the reason why that's important is because we want to figure out. You know what the right price is, what the valuations are, and what the discount rate is going to be, and what the Fed will do, and therefore the Bank of Canada and every other central banker in the world. Right. Um, what what's your sense?
1: Well, right now, all the central bankers saying it's transitory. I mean, uh, uh, although at the same time, I think one of the things that's driving so much demand, uh, whether it's housing or, quite frankly, the stock market or it's it's private money chasing deals. I mean, I I'm astonished. By how much cash is out there is of course the low interest rates um uh, the the governments around the world uh, you know canada may be you know out there leading the pack on a proportionate basis but it's really around the world uh, you know in the old days we'd say printing money uh now they just create money uh by buying bonds uh, i mean uh, uh, I can't remember the number 35% or 40% of the government, uh, bonds that are being sold in Canada are actually being bought by the bank of Canada, right? So they, they create money, uh, with no, no disrespect to my friends in Newfoundland, if they didn't have the bank of Canada buying, I'm not sure who'd buy their bonds. Uh, so they're, they're stepping in where they have to, but they're just doing it as part of a general practice. So they don't believe, uh, this is permanent. Um, that it's supply chain disruptions, that it's, uh, you know, demand that's been tamped down. I mean, I see the price of oil uh, in, you know, we're, we're heading towards an oil-free economy, everybody says, uh, but the price of oil is, I don't know, pretty good. Uh, yeah. as it's been in the last few years, and um, I haven't filled up my car in a couple of weeks.
0: I <laughs> it, but, um
1: you know, uh, from what I read, the price of gas is up, uh, gasoline is up materially. And if the United States, which probably is three or four months ahead of us, at least, uh, in, you know, sort of coming out of this pandemic is any example, the cars are going to be on the road. And they're mostly SUVs. Right. (laughs) And and trucks. So uh, I'm not so sure that it's transitory. And I think if, 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 we saw. I, I think nothing much is going to happen with interest rates, and I think we've really seen how they are the driver of so much of the economy. Um, I think if in, I don't think anything much is going to happen with interest rates in the next twelve months. I think the central banks have defined a narrative, and they're going to wait to see it play out. Uh, in other words, let the uh, the rate of inflation prove them wrong Right before they do anything. And uh, but I have a Uh, 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 you know, a queasy feeling that um, uh, they might just be wrong and that we might see an interest rate shock in 2022, uh, hopefully later rather than earlier. And uh, that will affect everything. Mm -hmm. If if suddenly they had to, you know, they, they, they were afraid that inflation was getting out of control. I mean, you know, a small little thing, you know, but, you know, anecdotal evidence uh, is the kind of stuff I live on. And uh, um, we were having at the, the building, uh, my wife and I have, have a place in, uh, in Florida, uh, they're having a problem having getting valets. You know, there, there's labor shortages everywhere. Right. And, and it's those sort of, I won't call them minimum wage job, but almost entry level jobs. And, uh, you know, one day I actually saw the head valet of our whole complex running around like and that's you know I said, I said what's going on why are you working so hard old guy like you and he said he says we don't have enough people he says but it's it's okay we've solved the problem I said how did you solve the problem he said well I just hired three new guys yesterday and now they're, they're going to be training this week I said well how'd you find them he says we raised our wages we were paying our valets now keep in mind this is Florida not Canada 1050 an hour I said, so what are you paying the the new guys? He said, $14. Now, still doesn't sound like a lot to me or you, Mm -hmm. uh, but that's like a 30 odd percent increase. And I think uh, even here in Canada, as in some of the provinces where you're seeing restaurants reopen and hospitality in general, they're having trouble getting people. And ultimately, if you can't get people, I'm not sure why, honestly, maybe it's government programs like some people say, Mm -hmm. I, I, I don't know. Um, you know, maybe it's just demographics. There aren't enough, aren't enough young people around that are willing to take those kind of jobs. Don't know. Um, but ultimately, the only way you get more people is to raise the wages,
0: right? And and I think that's an, another big component that we're that we're probably not talking enough about. But what actually happens with uh, with labor inflation and, and wages, and if that happens, Ed, I mean that. That really changes the, the paradigm and the dynamic in terms of, again valuations and interest rates and the Fed perhaps having to play catch up.
1: I, absolutely, I, I agree with you. And uh, I mean, we we've seen it in the construction industry, where, as I mentioned, for five years we've seen pretty big in- increases, and it's lar- they were largely labor driven. Some some material increases like concrete uh, lately, steel and and uh, and uh, wood. Uh, but uh, before that it was largely labor driven i remember about two years ago uh all the it's it's totally unionized the construction industry uh in in the gta and uh, there was going to be a strike and and they were making some serious demands huh. uh including the crane operators uh who are not easily replaceable because it takes quite frankly several years uh to train a crane operator and this might surprise you but uh Um, you know, a a good crane operator, and there's been a lot of men, uh, they can now make 250,000 a year. That Uh, does surprise me. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a, first of all, it's a very skilled job. I mean, Mm -hmm. and and a lot of safety issues, you know, got a lot of lives in the, in those hands and you're up there for eight hours a day in, in a booth. I mean, it's not the most pleasant job in the world and very stressful. Anyway, they get paid a lot. And, uh, bottom line was that the Construction Association essentially gave them whatever they wanted. Because no, they couldn't no afford choice. to shut down.
0: Yeah. Exactly. Um, and with respect to um, whatever does happen with interest rates and inflation, um, I think that uh, is also, and also the unknowns that are going on in the world right now, I think that so many people actually feel more comfortable um, buying property, buying real estate for the long term—that it's a, that it is a store of value. That it, it feels good to own something that feels solid. Um, what is that an accurate and a smart way to be thinking? I mean, obviously, time frame and time horizon has a lot to do with it as well. But but if if in fact we get an inflation spike in 2022 or what have you, you know, presumably real estate prices go down, but but there are, are uh, so many other dynamics going on in the world today. So right. how do you see that?
1: Real estate prices may go down for a little bit uh, because uh, you know, people want higher returns and so on, uh, but long-term in a, in a country like Canada, I mean, notwithstanding um, some of the, the issues uh, that we're dealing with uh, politically, uh, it's still seen around the world uh, as an extremely stable country, an extremely democratic country with a uh, welcoming uh, immigration process um, and, you know, not the volatility, if you will, of what goes on even south of the border Mm. uh, in the United States. Uh, I mean, as much I have maybe strong feelings politically that, that, you know, we won't get into, uh, but if you really parse uh, the positions of, of, of a Aaron O'Toole, and a Justin Trudeau, they're different. Not that different. No, nobody's looking to turn the country upside down like a Donald Trump did, uh, or a Biden who's who may be going, you know, somewhat extreme the other way. We don't we don't have those kind of extremities in our major political parties. Mm-hmm. And and you can take that right down, you know, to uh, municipal and provincial. So it's a stable country in that way. Uh, we abhor violence. Uh, and, um, I mean, if <laughs> I, I, think we're too violent as it is, but uh, we, we abhor it. So having said that Canada is still going to be a good place to invest money in real estate internationally. As you say, you have to have, uh, you know, I learned one thing in the early nineties, living through that, mm-hmm. uh, death can kill you. Uh, when you're an owner of real estate, the people who survived and ultimately very much thrived uh, subsequent to the meltdown of the early mm-hmm. 90s, where you had high interest rates, lack of liquidity. I mean, everything was bad. <laughs>
0: early 90s, I,
1: you know, when I, you know, I tell the young guys at Rehkan what it was like then and, and like they can't imagine it really because you still had double digit interest rates in the early 90s with no business going on. I mean, that's why it was such a bad recession, particularly for real estate. But the people who had very low levels of debt uh, survived it no problem. So, mm-hmm. you know, people, particularly in invest- if they're an investor, they, they have to really be careful. Now, having said that, I have been the biggest surprise out of the pandemic to me. A lot of it I found quite predictable, uh, but there has been the, the unbelievable rise in real estate um, you know, places like Muskoka, any okay. of the, any of the, uh, uh sort of, uh, recreational property se- hubs, uh, with Muskoka, obviously at its center, because in some ways it's the smallest and, and perhaps most desirable, but, uh, you know, uh, the, the, uh, prices of single family homes in the far suburbs, uh, has shocked me. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, like I said, in Oshawa, I, you know, uh, we have pretty good, we're, we're selling townhouses in Oshawa. I couldn't believe how much we're getting for them. Huh. Um, and, you know, the, the, on top of that, the one that really surprised me, because it's largely investor driven, is the high rise condominium market. It's been extremely strong. Really? There seems to be the odd sort of little bump here and there uh, but, uh, I'm sitting down here in Yorkville right now. Okay. That's where we live. Um, there's, uh, a building being built at, uh, close to, closer to Young street, East of Bay, uh, that RECAN owns 50% of 62 stories and it's all sold. I think we have three town penthouse units left. And one of those went two weeks ago. Um, there's a new building starting right next door to it at 33 Yorkville. Uh, ours is 11 Yorkville. Um, I know the kind of prices they're looking at. I don't think they're coming to market for another few months yet, uh, but they're looking at like 2000 a foot. Wow. Uh, a year ago, nobody would have dreamed of that. And, you know, I could go on and on, but I won't bore you with that. But even in the in the suburbs, uh, Mississauga, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I know about $1,000 a foot. Plus, uh, Markham, um, you know, up up around uh, where we have a big shopping center, Colossus, uh, and the subway got brought up there. And there's a whole sort of, it's called Transit City. And they're getting $900,000 a foot, huh. uh, which nobody would have dreamed of even 18 months ago.
0: Well, right. And, and Ed, even I think, though, in the communication and the narrative and the media today, Um, you know, people don't necessarily know those numbers or know that that's the dynamic going on. I mean, we need to hear from someone like you um, to to understand that that's the truth. And I I say that in the sense that, you know, a lot of people say everyone's moving out of the city, you know, everybody wants to live in the country. Um, You and your team at Rio Can, I mean, you have a lot of mixed use property, you've moved into the residential space, the condo space. Um, so what do you say to those people and and that story that gets told, perhaps without seeing the numbers? I'm always a big believer in looking at the numbers.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Um, You know what? Uh, What we see is there is some of that happening, uh, because I think some people have this belief and, and there are certain jobs that you'll be able to do this, that, Hey, I can work from home the rest of my life. Uh, what's the difference if I live in Orangeville? Uh, where, I, where for a million dollars, I can buy a four acre piece of property with room for my kids and this and that. Well, there's two things. Number one, you, know, you really probably won't be able to work from home for the rest of your life. <laughs> as I can tell you that most senior executives that I speak to, uh, as here in Toronto anyway, uh, and I don't think it's any different anywhere else. Again, if anything, the United States is ahead of us. Um, by September call it post-Labor Day, when the kids are back at school, people are expecting people to be back in the office. Period. Yeah. Now, it may not be 100%. Maybe it'll be three or four days a week, at least to start. But I, I I, just know in talking to senior people that people who don't get come back to the office will be looked at askance. Um, and uh, it's, it's necessary for cultural reasons, for collaborative reasons for a whole bunch of things Mm -hmm. Uh, i mean uh, uh, even such a small thing so once that you know small thing is walking down the hall and say hey what do you think about and you know you you can't do that when you gotta set up a zoom meeting to have a discussion right so so, um when that starts to happen people say "Eh, you know maybe it's not such a good idea now i gotta commute (laughs) from orangeville and I don't know why I'm picking on Orangeville. It's a nice town. <laughs> uh, they'll also find and, and it boring. <laughs> I mean, Good point. I live in the middle of the city here and I love it. And, um, you know, I mean, maybe we got used to being bored uh, a little bit over the last 14 months. I mean, uh, you know, uh, a big night is uh, some food being delivered and watching some Netflix. I mean, because uh, there's nowhere to go, which I right. think is, is, is the government's intention. To give you nowhere to go, but that will change, and uh, again, I uh, I hope by the fall, uh, there'll be lots of places to go. I know, talking to some people at the uh, at the MLSE, they are really hoping. I mean, the basketball season starts typically in October, towards the end of October, mm-hmm. and they are at the moment planning to have a basketball season in Toronto. Uh, that would mean. Now, whether it'll happen, don't know, uh, yeah. but they expect it will. Uh, that'll mean, uh, you know, that the border between Canada and the U.S. is open without quarantines when you come home,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, particularly if you're vaccinated, which, you know, certainly all the sports figures are. But I can tell you, I came home. The fact that I'm fully vaccinated meant nothing. Yeah. The uh, guy, the guy at the, the, guy <laughs> at the border, uh, uh, you know, and he came on the plane. He said, I said, you know, I'm fully vaccinated. He said, That's nice.
0: Yeah. I know Ed. I, look, I'm quarantining in Muskoka. I was in Florida. I'm fully vaccinated. The exact same thing. And you know, and the problem is there's just no system, there's no logistics put in place for that person to actually take that question and answer. No. And and therefore we don't have to waste government money with somebody checking in on me up at the cottage. But this is where we're at. Did so. they actually
1: show up at your cottage? I
0: mean
1: we have had it. We got it on the eighth day.
0: Yeah, I hear it's the eighth day. And um, I haven't seen anybody yet. I almost feel neglected. Okay.
1: Well, so have I, I, neglected. I have a friend. Maybe it'll happen is, now. I have a friend of mine who's quarantining uh, in uh, at his cottage at Lake of and he actually yeah. got visited. Yeah. So uh, anyway, but going going back to going back to what we we're saying. So small towns are uh, they don't have the entertainment and socializing opportunities that that big cities do. Yeah, they, they also don't have the economic opportunities uh, that big cities do, and uh, which is why big cities became big cities.
0: Absolutely, and it, and it goes back to people actually wanting to be together and wanting to congregate, going back to the beginning of time. Right. But Ed, interesting because people who are actually buying those condos now, and obviously doing really well on this on the sales front, um, who are they? Like they're obviously of the same mindset that you are, but are they perhaps people with some? You know, investment dollars, and they're buying three or like, who's thinking this way? Is what uh, yeah, I'm kind of curious. Don't,
1: we don't. I I, I I can answer that a little bit. I, just by the eleven Yorkville, uh, uh, which is the most recent uh, um, experience, I would say about 60 to 65 percent of our investors uh, who are using largely cash, uh, and they're choosing to invest in an apartment in Yorkville rather than putting it in the stock market or the bond market just leaving it in the bank. Uh, And they have a long-term faith. I mean, notwithstanding, uh, you know, a building like that, if you talk to most condo builders, they're saying the worst thing you can have is a building that's ready to move in. (laughs) Because, you know, when somebody is buying a condominium unit in in downtown, they're betting on what the world's going to be like four years from now or three and a half years from now. Got it. Uh, Because we're not delivering any of those apartments until 2024 slash 25. So, you know, you're, you're, when you look at it in a way from the fact that you, you haven't really bought an option cause you have committed and, and the deposits are pretty big or 20% of the purchase price uh, ultimately. And um, so it's not an option, but you're making a bet on what the world is going to look like in four years. And right now the investors that are betting that money are betting that, you know what? Yeah. There'll be people that move to Orangeville, but not too many people who want to be, still live where the action is, where they can get to work easy. And mm-hmm. we're still going to be in the towers that we see, whether it's downtown or at young and bluer.
0: Got it. Um, and, and just as an aside here, in terms of, you know, thinking people are going to be, you know, wanting to be in a city again, when you do look at the impact that COVID has had and people perhaps wanting cottages and maybe wanting a place in Florida, um, maybe being elsewhere in the world. Is there any other kind of geography that you think is an interesting investment at this point outside well, the Canadian know. borders? Sorry? Outside of the Canadian oh, borders. Outside the
1: Canadian borders.
0: Yeah, or maybe inside.
1: Yeah, you know what? Europe to me, I mean, and again, I'm displaying my own political uh, uh, leanings. Europe, Europe to me is, it's done. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I happen to be the huge, my, my most favorite city to go uh, outside of Canada uh, and outside of uh, Tel Aviv and Jerusalem, which, you know, I'm really like, is London, England. I, I've spent a lot of time there. I love it there. And, um, but, you know, they're leaving the EU. Uh, it, it's it, London and, and England in general has changed. And uh, I'm not sure it's gonna go back to where it was. Mm-hmm. If I had to say there was a city outside of, uh, of Canada and then I'll come back to inside, I'd invest in quite frankly, Miami, Austin, uh, Miami city. Uh, I think is, is, it is booming, but I think it's gonna continue. Um, it's always been the crossroads to South America, uh, but they have a low tax rates. They have except for a couple of months in the summer, pretty good weather. Yeah. Uh, All year round. And, um, it's very, uh, diverse, uh, in, in many, many ways. And, um, I know, uh, there's a guy I know, um, who, excuse me, has a hotel down there, has built a couple of condos. The condo is half hotel, the hotel is half condo. And he uh, spent a huge amount of money to buy a piece of property, which actually like a two-story motel next to his main property. And uh, I remember talking to him, I had dinner with him about three years ago. I said, what the hell are you gonna do with this, jewel?" <laughs> and, and I said, you paid a fortune for this thing. He says, yeah, but here's what I can build. I said, but who are you gonna sell it to? Because the, the prevailing wisdom down in Miami, uh, Miami Beach in particular was, okay, four years ago, we lost all the Russians because Putin said, owning property in the United States is unpatriotic. Hmm. And and he says, plus, you know, some of my actual residents were on the American sanctions list. So that was a problem. And and then he said to me, he says, you know, then we lost most of the South Americans because their economies all went in the tank, whether whether it was uh, obviously the the big one, Venezuela, Argentina, Brazil, Mexico. I mean, their economies just went in the tank, he says. And then we lost a lot of Canadians. Now this was three, four years ago because their currency was crap. Now, currency's made a pretty good recovery. I actually think it's too high right now, but that's just my view. And uh, I, you know, the dollar was around 70 cents. So, yeah, you know, it was very expensive. He says, so we're not getting that many Canadian buyers right now. Uh, he, I said, this, so I, I related to him that conversation we'd had a few years prior. I said, who's buying? He said, people from New York, <laughs> Connecticut, Massachusetts. Wow. And Pennsylvania. Yeah. That's what he's buying. And he says, and I'm 90% pre-sold. Amazing. So, you know, it, there's a huge movement. I mean, Goldman Sachs uh, for their uh, in West Palm Beach just, just did a deal for a 500,000-foot office building. So, uh, you know, uh, so that's what right. here in Canada. Uh, I think the, uh, you, you have to have some patience, but I still love uh, Calgary. Mm. I may be the only person who loves Calgary <laughs> other than Jason Kenny. Right. Uh, but uh, I think, you know, the values are uh, very uh, reasonable. Uh, what we haven't seen, I mean, Calgary has been in a economic uh, downspin probably for five years already. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they're... Uh, Provincial economy is going to be helped a little by the comeback we've seen in oil prices. I think they really are working hard at diversifying uh, some of their things. Uh, their agricultural sector is booming. And uh, the one thing, I mean, I still remember the last meltdown in Alberta back in the 80s. Uh, maybe it was even late 70s when the national energy policy came in, uh, Trudeau Sr. Yeah. And,
0: yeah,
1: um, what suddenly you saw in Toronto was all kinds of cars with Alberta license plates. Again, anecdotal, wild Rose country. (laughs) And, you know, like all over, you don't see them this time. Mm. And what we're seeing in the actual numbers is that the Albertans are not leaving. And, and, um, so that to me is a very good sign. I think, uh, uh, things are going to pick up there. And, uh, Let's put it this way. I I, I wish I could tell you Riekeans buying in in Alberta right now or not, but we're not selling either.
0: Got it. And um and and when you talk a little bit about though and look at where you guys have transitioned the company in terms of more mixed use, what's the thinking behind that? How, wh- why did you make that move a number of years ago?
1: Yeah. Well, number one, is because we own the land. <laughs> and you saw, we owned the land and we saw that the demand for retail space was at best staying flat, uh, maybe even declining. But even when it's staying flat in a uh, growing population country, it's declining. So we looked and said, well, what are our greatest assets? And the greatest assets were the locations of our shopping centers. By definition, they were at high traffic intersections. Uh, They ended up being every time a new transit line is announced, we always have shopping centers on that transit line. And uh, so we wanted to densify the the sites and the cities were all in favor of it. So that's what led to it. And uh, as we saw some weakness happening in retail, uh, we wanted to diversify. And the best way to diversify was building on land we already owned. Okay. Uh, residential, I mean, at the end of the day, things the offices may come and go in popularity. Retail comes and goes. Everybody needs a roof over their heads. And, uh, you know, nobody wants to sleep out in the rain by choice. Mm-hmm. And uh, so residential, as long as you've got a growing population, longer term is always going to be great. And and mixed use, you know, it, it's a great phrase. But one of the properties we bought in 2007 called Young Eglinton Center, was a mixed use development built in the 1970s. Uh. You know, there's a thousand apartments. We don't own them, unfortunately, because they've been split off by the time we bought it. There's a thousand apartments uh, on, that, on that block. Uh, there's 750,000 feet of office space as part of the area, which we do own, and 300,000 feet of retail. Uh. And now we've added 1,500 apartments across the street, a little more retail. And an underground tunnel connecting them, so you can see. Uh, I mean, it's actually perfect from a work from home uh, crowd because they don't have to go anywhere.
0: Right. <laughs> yeah.
1: And, and uh, you know, just go across the street, and then uh, you'll see the power of the of the mixed use because everything feeds on each other. When we're we're uh, building the well, which should finally start getting finished next year, uh, there's going to be about three thousand people that live on site. And about 4,000 people, maybe more, that work on site. Mm-hmm. So the retailers in there, well, you know, they got 10, 11,000 customers that are upstairs, so to speak. Uh, so everything feeds off each other. So to me and to our team, uh, mixed use just mm-hmm. makes all kinds of sense. Mm-hmm. And it's even environmentally sound.
0: Great. Right. Um, and I want to get your take as well. You know, we talked, you used the word politics uh, a couple of times, and maybe we don't talk about politics, but policies.
1: Okay. Sure.
0: <laughs> but no, I can, I'll talk about politics. Uh, okay. But, um, but you know, when you, let, let, let's just take a look at, at what's gone on um, with COVID and the, and the policies that have been implemented, because I think that people have been disappointed, whether it was the vaccine rollout, the lack of vaccines, um, I mean, you name it. How do, how do you see the policies and, and what kind of impact they're having on people, I think is important. I mean, at yeah. the end of the day, if you're in business, you need to care about people.
1: Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And uh, people are being hurt. The hurt is being disguised by the government shoveling money at almost everybody. Uh, but, um, you know, I, I keep telling the guys at Reican, uh, the team there that, you know, yeah, we haven't seen that much fallout in retailers, uh, considering that for the last two months, twenty percent of our retailers have been closed. Um, but you know, when you're going to see the fallout is when the government spigot gets turned off, which right now I think they're talking about turning it off in September. Uh, you know, the rent uh, subsidies and so on, and the and the extra payments to people. So I, I think the policies. Uh, starting from the very beginning and and you know uh, I don't know you could probably go back I'm not going to blame the the current federal government for everything because somehow we've beaten up on our pharmaceutical industries for the last 25 years to the point where we don't really have them anymore right. and uh, you know it's but but even what we do have I you know I had that very good friend of mine who unfortunately passed away in very bad circumstances Barry Sherman uh, who uh, owned Apotex and built Apotex from the ground up, uh, the largest, uh, you know, generic uh, drug manufacturer? And he did nothing ever but complain to me about how he was treated by the government. Huh. In at every level, uh, he said all they want to do, because essentially the government now pays for most drugs. You know, whether it, notwithstanding they want to have a national pharmacare program, uh, the the greatest amount of drugs are taken by, by those over 65. And, uh, you'll find out in many, huh. uh, but, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's quite incredible. If you look at the numbers and they get it for free, everybody over 65 gets their prescription as long as it's on the on the formulary, uh, that the various governments, you know, uh, expand, which has the negative impact of, uh, of preventing Canadians having access to some of the newest uh, medications. We don't yep. get them. Uh, or if we do, we have to pay for them. And, but mostly we just can't get them. You gotta go to the States to get them, And um, so that, that's, that's another problem. But because the government that was paying for them, they had one interest, beating down the price. And that's what my friend Barry was always complaining about. And to the point where nobody felt like manufacturing anything here. And uh, so, you know, I can't blame the current governments for that. It's been a long-term thing. Uh, but what I can blame them for is being very slow off the mark in signing contracts for the acquisitions of, of, uh, of vaccines. I mean, uh, the current government in Ottawa thought they could do a deal with China. Really? <laughs> <laughs> and, and uh, you know, they wasted months from what I've read. Uh, before they actually got serious and and uh, and got a hold uh, of uh, you know people at uh, Moderna and Pfizer, and um, you know contrast that with another country, Israel, uh, that also had no you know they uh, they have a big generic drug company, uh, theirs is Teva, uh, we had Apotex. I can tell you from talking to uh, some of Barry's heirs. Uh, Nobody at the government ever called them, saying, hey, can you make this?
0: Really, Ed? Never really?
1: Called, never called them.
0: How's that, how is that even possible?
1: You know what? At- they didn't, uh, Maybe they didn't want to deal with it. I, I can't explain government behavior. Uh, but Israel, uh, and they knew Teva couldn't make this stuff. Uh, I mean, it's quite well known that the prime minister of Israel must have called the uh, CEO of Pfizer 30 times over a period of two weeks. Uh, to make a deal and I and I and at the time he he paid a high price although I suspect it's never really been revealed we paid a much higher price because we were late to the party but he paid a high price and uh, he was questioned about it in uh, in their parliament and he said hey he said you know what the additional cost that I paid to get an immediate supply maybe it's equal to the losses of two days of lockdowns Wow. So, so I don't care what it costs. Yep. But, but um, we didn't do that. We were at the back of the line. I think the rollout uh, certainly here here in Ontario, but probably right right across Canada after the opening stumbles, which you always expect. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, you know, from God, I you know, when you say policy, I I am a skeptic when it comes to government's ability to do stuff. we, we and Canada in particular, we we don't know how to do stuff. By government, you know uh, Milton Friedman, the famous economist, once said, and he was an American. Where the government is a little better at doing stuff, like that. Um, uh, he once said. He said, you know, if you gave government uh, ownership of the Sahara Desert, within five years you'd have a shortage of sand. <laughs> and you know, it's it's uh, so there were lots of bumps. I mean, you remember the Ontario the original website. I mean, it took forever. Mm-hmm. How hard is that? You think you could buy something off the shelf, but uh, uh, I mean, the the, the um, if you talk to most people, the biggest benefit has been this voluntary group, Vaccinehunters.ca, uh, which yeah. a bunch of volunteers set up that website. And um, so, government performed in the rollout, I think, as well as they might have expected been expected to. I think what what uh, we've seen is a lack of leadership where people, particularly at the provincial level, uh, but also the municipal, um, you know, leaders are supposed to lead. And, you know, in many ways, I, I think the world of most of our our current provincial leadership, uh-huh. uh, I love their policies, but, you know, writing a letter th- to a whole bunch of diverse groups telling me, what should I do about schools? Well, you know, as, you know, one would have expected, he got all kinds of different opinions. Right, He still has to make the decision. Today is Tuesday, June the 1st. Um, They haven't made the decision. I mean, school is over in three and a half weeks. Where they're just going to let the... I mean, there's been a lack of decisiveness, a lack of leadership. I mean, I remember at the beginning of April, he announced that salons were going to open on April 12th. Uh, And then not... Within uh, a week later, everything was closed, Great. including <laughs> golf courses and and uh, and playgrounds. And uh, so it's just been a you know, which he apologized for that and saying mm-hmm. police were going to stop you on the street and ask you where you're going. Um, but uh, I, I think you've seen that right across the country, uh, just a lack of leadership and uh, and an inability to do stuff. The actual okay. policies. Uh, I think our children and grandchildren are going to be paying for those policies for a long time because, uh, you know, I keep hearing the justification from our uh, uh, Minister of Finance and Deputy Prime Minister Freeland. Interest rates are low. Well, she's right. They are low. Money is almost free, uh, which has been driving a lot of the things that we talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. But they won't stay that way. And, and, you know, you run up a trillion dollars of debt which I think we have, yep, and that's in at the Canadian level, never mind the provinces. Um, you know, one percentage point. I'm trying to do the math now in my head
0: <laughs> but it's
1: billions of dollars. let me see. Uh, I think it's about ten billion dollars a year, sure and I, may, and I may I may be missing a zero and you know, at a certain point the world won't buy your band, bonds and the okay. bank of canada can't keep buying them all and that's what happened to canada and back in the martin years and uh it was pretty ugly getting out of it and you know uh uh the the uh, health uh, uh care situation was dramatically impacted because uh they got out of it by knocking back the transfers to provinces uh, and cutting back on the civil service, which somehow it's like, you know, it's like a beanstalk. It just keeps growing anyway. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't matter how much you try to cut it back. But the, the um, I mean, I don't know if you saw a number that the, the federal government spent something like $16 billion on consultants.
0: Yes, I did. I did. And,
1: and, 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 which will tell you that the people running things really don't know how to do stuff. So they got to go out and hire somebody that maybe knows how to do stuff. Mm-hmm. and And it's just uh, I just find the whole thing disheartening and the policies look we needed uh, dramatic policies going into this pandemic. Uh, but it's been carried out I think so I mean even the fact I think they gave out a quarter of a billion dollars to people by mistake yeah. and, and now they said no, nah, you can keep it right. Anyway, it was sort of our fault because we gave you bad information
0: right. So, Ed, when we think about going forward, um, yeah. you know, for, you know, people listening to think about what, what, do we, what do we need to demand, quite frankly, from our federal government officials and our provincial government officials, municipal, what have you, uh, what would be the three top things you, you would say? I mean, because a lot of the time when we talk about business and economy... That that we're not Canada's not competitive enough on a number of different fronts, that there's too much red tape. Um, I don't know. I think that people gloss that over when they, quite frankly, go to the polls. But it Mm -hmm. is what matters to our economic prosperity, specifically if we do have a trillion dollars in deficits and and interest rates might rise. So, yeah, and we do. do. Um, So what what's what's your message?
1: You know what, I've I've always felt the important things uh, that a government, first of all, they've got to cut back on regulation and make the process of getting things done easier. Uh, I mean, I can speak to construction. uh, To get a site that is relatively uncontroversial, as far as neighborhood and so on, from uh, start to actually putting a shovel in the ground is... Plus or minus three years—that's crazy. What it's should it be? What should it be? It shouldn't. It should be less than a year. Okay. I mean the, the amount the amount of time. I mean, how long do you need to look at a plan? How many public meetings do you have to have? Uh, you know, how many planning officials have to opine on whether this this uh, building is appropriate mm-hmm. uh, or well designed or not well designed? Uh, how much park? I mean. And, and Doug Ford, God bless him, he's tried to streamline the process, but the bureaucracy at the municipalities is almost immovable. And uh, so if you want to build buildings, and, I, and I, you know, I'm talking about industrial buildings as well. I'm not just talking about high-rise. Everything takes forever. Uh, even, uh, even the length of construction now, I mean, COVID has exacerbated, exacerbated it. Um, like to get inspectors to come to a site, because you can't move from one phase to the next, like you can't put up drywall, for example, being simple, till the electrical's been inspected. So suddenly you got to sit there because the uh. electrical inspector didn't show up. And so the pandemic has has really made things worse on that. But regulation, I, I hear starting a business is impossible. Government red tape. Uh, at least it's not corrupt. I mean, we don't have that problem <laughs> that a lot of other countries have. Uh, it's just way too complex. And I think the governments have to work on simplifying uh, uh, Canadian entrepreneurs mm-hmm. uh, in letting them do business. Uh, secondly, I think we've underinvested in education. Um, in the in the and and you know, if, if I'm taking a knock at teachers' unions, I will. Uh, they take too much of the money. <laughs> and if you look at, at uh, the quality of our education, um, you know, the I went to public school. I don't, I don't know if you did.
0: Uh, I, I did both.
1: Okay. I did both. But I can tell you my, my kids uh, didn't. And uh, I, I have nine grandchildren. None of them go to public school. And it's not just a, an issue of having the uh, economic capability of sending them. I know uh, friends of theirs or my kids' friends who make enormous sacrifices, not to be in the public school system. And so I think the quality of the public school system has been going down for a long time. Uh, what's going on in our universities. I, mean, I, I think in some ways, governments are doing a good job. I mean, uh, Jim Flaherty may rest in peace, started the, uh, that, a university in Oshawa, which was, you know, his writing, uh, which is now called Ontario Tech. And uh, it's up to 10,000 students and they teach nothing but STEM uh, subjects. And, uh, you know, so they're doing some good things, but I I just think in education, right from pre-grade one uh, to graduate school, we got to invest more. Mm -hmm. And last but not least, um, you know, on the capital side, uh, we have to make it easier for money to hook up with businesses, uh and and uh because what unfortunately seems to happen with some great exceptions like shopify mm-hmm. uh you have entrepreneurs that start companies and if it's a really good thing and it's got lots of growth runway some american or somebody else in the world is going to buy it and we're happy to take the money <laughs> <laughs> i have to admit most canadians you know they're happy to take the money yeah uh, but you know, so there's not enough. There's, you know, startup is getting better. Uh, uh, but we haven't, we have to, we have to fix our tax system to encourage more inter- into entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. We have to fix the, the, you know, if anything, we're going the wrong way because they're talking about taxing and capital gains. Um, right. And, 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 you know, the whole policy of, uh, how does one of my granddaughters put it? Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, granddad, you know, today is about eating the rich. <laughs> I got a budding socialist in my family. But yeah. the, uh, I said, yeah, but you know, the rich are just a product of the system. And if if you don't produce, continue to produce rich people, it'll all fall down because it means business isn't happening. And then nobody's going to make a living. And I think too many people in Canada, including many in our government, uh, don't understand anymore how an economy actually creates wealth and just figures the government can create wealth. Well, they can't. Mm-hmm. They can only borrow it or tax it. Mm-hmm. That's all they can do <laughs> to get money. Anyway, you, Ed, you, you've got Ed's wish list.
0: I, I love it. Um, Ed, I have two questions left because we're going to wrap this up. And I okay. so appreciate your thoughts and information. It's amazing. Um, one, we've kind of gotten your sense, but what, what's, what is your view on the economy right now?
1: It's on a sugar high.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> the sugar being money, uh, cash. And uh, you know, if you talk to any bankers, and I think the numbers uh, bear this out, bank deposits are like at an, an all-time high. And whereas borrowing, they're having trouble putting the money out. Uh, when I was on the uh, Royal Bank Board uh, for <laughs> hard to believe a decade, uh, one thing that was always constant was the amount outstanding on credit cards. Very lucrative business for all the banks because they charge a pretty good interest rate on that. But it was consistent. You know, I found it amazing, huh. and uh, it's gone down this year. People are paying off those high interest rate credit cards because, you know, what I think what's happened over the last 14 months is two things: a lot of government money, and nowhere to spend it. <laughs> I mean, uh-huh, you know, uh-huh. Who goes out to a restaurant? You can't. Uh-huh, you, know, uh-huh. you know, who go- Nobody travels. Uh, who who's gone to Europe in the last 15 months? Nobody. Right. <laughs> you know, uh, it, 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 it's really, uh, you know, how many car trips haven't been made down to the United States? Thousands, hundreds. Of, so money has has accumulated. And even I, I know my own kids. Well, none of their kids went to summer camp last year. Boom, saved a lot of money by that happening. So yeah, uh, cash has piled up. So that's what I mean by a sugar high right now that will last by, uh, I think we're good for at least 12 months. of a a strong economy Mm. and the party pooper will maybe an interest rate shock rate because of the inflation that's caused by the breakdowns uh, in the uh, supply chain that, you know, are so well-documented. I don't really understand why that's happened, Mm -hmm. Uh, but I can tell you, I have friends in in the import uh, business who tell me the cost of, of renting a container has tripled. Hmm. if you can get one. Right. And and uh, they're importing stuff from Asia all the time, and they, they, it's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet Walmart won't let them raise their prices. So, you know, <laughs> something's going to give. There. Yeah. Um, so uh, I, I think we're, we're in for a good 12 months uh, with some dark clouds represented by interest rates on the horizon, possibly.
0: Okay. And then lastly, Ed, um, you know, in addition to all the information, I, I always think it's great to be able to get your, your perspective and people, your, your colleagues like yourself, um, something that's kind of a piece of advice, words of wisdom to be aspirational and inspirational to our viewers, um, just, you know, always, but also of course, given COVID, I mean, had you, you know, and people say that you've always been so approachable and maybe that's one of the key reasons for your success. And maybe that's the question, what do you attribute your, your success to? And what would you pass on to our viewers?
1: Well, part of being approachable is because I, I and this is what, this is what I tell the young people at, at, uh, at REACAN, uh, of course, young is anybody below 50, right? <laughs> but the, the, um, you never can stop learning. And, and, and to me, that's based, it has been for me, and one of the reasons maybe people think I'm approachable is I'm curious. I'm, I'm always curious about everything. You know, uh, um, you know, like, why is this happening? And, and what is happening? <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm a news junkie. I uh, have <laughs> news around the world, because today, you know, it's a small world and something happening, oh, that's happening in Indonesia. Eh, you know, you never know, it may tell you something, it may not. Uh, so i'm i'm in, in in insatiably curious and insatiably wanting to learn more about everything and i think that in particularly in today's world uh, is 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 an essential for success because the when i say today's world is changing so quickly and uh, uh, you know the other part of being curious is to be cynical about the information you get and you know what's it you know maybe maybe because i find people believe everything they read <laughs> yeah. and i said don't believe everything you read most of it is incorrect
0: that is great advice ed it's so wonderful to see you and that's not am- you. thank you and and to have a longer in-depth conversation
1: yeah this was i mean usually we're seven minutes and goodbye <laughs> <laughs> i know goodbye and i hope to see you up in Muskoka this summer
0: Thank you. Absolutely. Definitely.